The news on CJOB with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham. 9-11 and uh, 2001 and deciding whether or not I wanted to drop the kids at school. The second plane had gone into the tower and uh, had to get into work here to help the coverage here at 680 CJOB. And that was the toughest thing. We all know where we were on that day. You were at home on maternity leave. I was at home with a newborn, and my husband was an airline pilot, and we all know that the planes became grounded that day, and we didn't know when he would be flying again. Let's bring in our guest. Helena Hovitz-Regal is joining us now from New York City. Helena, tell us where you were 17 years ago. Sure. So I was in middle school, uh, just few blocks away from the World Trade Center when the first plane hit. How old were you? I was 12 years old. What do you remember? Oh, gosh. Um, It was, you know, I think now a lot of the images of the events have become very commonplace that a lot of us have seen the people covered in blood and dust running for their lives and screaming and abandoning purses and backpacks and running from the imploding towers. And it's very different to be um, a 12-year-old in the middle of all of that um, after you were just starting your day. Um, I lived in the neighborhood three blocks from the towers, and on the other side of the towers I went to school. So it should have been a 10-minute walk home, um, straight from school to home as it always was. And instead, in trying to get home, we were caught in and running from uh, not just one tower collapse, but two. And so we saw pretty much everything you can imagine that notes. 12-year-old should ever have to have to see or smell. Um, and, and at the time, we didn't know that what we were running from and caught in was the towers collapsing. Um, we thought that the world was ending and, and bombs were being dropped everywhere. And we just kept trying to get home because my, my elderly grandparents lived in our apartment building and getting home would be the only way that my parents knew that I was safe because they were both working um, both uptown and in another borough of the city. Um, so it was it was pretty devastating. So you probably went to school that day. Your biggest concern was maybe, you know, picking out the outfit to wear that day or, or what you exactly. were going to have for lunch. And the school just released you to, to go back home when all this happened? No. So what happened was we sort of had the news delivered in kind of terrifying and confusing tidbits. And eventually we were um, shortly after the first plane hit evacuated to the cafeteria Um, Parents started to rush in looking panicked, and then the bomb squad came in and said, we have to evacuate the school. And so the rest of the school was evacuated uptown, um, up the West Side Highway. Unfortunately, they also found themselves running from the collapse. And what happened with me was that my neighbor and her son appeared in the doorway with those other parents. And because um, I knew them so well, the principal said, yes, you can take her home. And so we thought we were going to get home, and clearly, you know, no one knew exactly what was about to unfold after we after we left the school and were standing directly under the burning towers. Wow. Uh, I have goosebumps as you as you tell the story and it's different for an adult to experience that, let alone a twelve year old. And you eventually make it home and your neighborhood was never evacuated. You ended up staying there the whole time through all of the aftermath? That's that's correct. Um, so we were on the east side Um, by the South Street Seaport. The west side was evacuated. Now, the police told everyone that our apartment complex, which had over a 1,000 apartments, was evacuated, but we were not. And so you're talking about 
families with babies, elderly people in wheelchairs and with Alzheimer's. I mean, no electricity, no water, no phones, nothing. And we were literally abandoned in this war zone in the way that I guess hundreds of people in their apartments could be abandoned together. And at one point, me and my mom went outside to try and see if the payphone across the street worked to contact my dad one last time because he couldn't get into the city because they weren't letting anyone in. Um, And that was a trouble we had getting home as well. Police kept turning everyone away and saying no one gets in. And my dad said the police said you're all in holding shelters, but we weren't. And there was the dust storm was still going. There was dust and ash in our apartments and the towers were still on fire several blocks away. It was absolutely awful. And in the weeks that followed, it was like a war zone. You know, you had the mayor telling everyone, let's get back to normal. Where we live, suddenly on our corner, it was National Guards with rifles. It was more threats of other things being blown up. Every five minutes, people were running and screaming. We were told not to go outside. We had to figure out how to get access to food, water, medications. It was just completely different down here. And there was a smog in the air that lasted for six months. Um, and, and it was just, there was no getting back to normal after that. With us on 680 CJOB is Helena Hovitz-Regal. She was 12 on 9-11 when those towers fell, and she has written a book about her experiences and how this has impacted her life. Helena, uh, do you still stay in touch with some of the other 12-year-olds that grew up with you in that neighborhood? I do. I actually have been, especially for the book, and then, you know, we've rekindled friendships again through it. I went back to interview them at the 10-year anniversary and the 15-year anniversary to see if they had had those same experiences as I did growing up with what I later learned was post-traumatic stress disorder, but was misdiagnosed and mismedicated for for years. So on top of the existing trauma, I had years of trying to get better dealing with all of these severe issues and getting worse, reaching out for help. And you would not believe the amount of of, of young people that I spoke to that have never talked to a therapist, have never talked to a psychiatrist, and yet had the same symptoms, and their lives were so incredibly affected, and they believed it was something wrong with them, not the result of something that happened to them. And so that's when I realized I need to be an advocate for letting people know that there is a way to get better and heal and recover from this. And a lot of them are doing better now as a result of time healing wounds. A lot of them are doing better because they're just starting to seek therapy. But I get messages from my former classmates uh, every year. I got some this year saying they're just now starting to put the pieces together and make that connection that this is what caused some of the struggles they've been going through. And I think the interviews and the book has certainly been therapeutic for you, hasn't it? Absolutely. You know, if anything, I'm just glad that I was able to not give up hope and make it out onto the other side and to be able to share that message that no matter what you're going through, especially as a teenager, but as, a, as an adult, as a child, you know, millions of people in this country go through trauma. We've seen it so often, unfortunately, often recently with the influx of shootings and natural disasters and that there always is hope and, and, and getting help is brave. And all these messages that, that I feel are so important to share now that I've had the, the chance to reflect through the book on my journey and the journey of so many others who have survived. And I think it's important to highlight the fact that it's it's very simple as this the the services go on today as they recognize the victims killed in the attack that it goes it does go beyond and there it's like dropping a pebble in the water and you watch the ripples go out you and those those children and and the other people in your neighborhood are part of that ripple effect. Absolutely and I think it's also important to say 
you know, we have always felt more than grateful that, you know, fortunately for me and my classmates, we didn't lose any family members that day. And so, you know, despite having lived with what survivors of, of trauma and, and attack, terrorist attacks live with, I think we've all been very grateful that we did make it out alive and our families um, who worked in the towers or worked nearby, they made it out alive. Um, and so I think it's very important on this day to to think about that and, and always keep in our hearts the people who um, who are not as fortunate. You've had an opportunity to speak with with kids that are, are basically the age that you were at that time, and they have questions. What are some of the questions that you are most frequently asked? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, the... I have to say the most one of the most important and yet the the one that is probably the most troublesome for a lot of us is um, do you hate all Muslim people or are you afraid of people who are Middle Eastern um, and I think it's it's so important to um, answer that question very honestly with even though um, we were being told by the media then, by TV and the news and politicians, like, you know, okay, this is the group responsible. You know, that was the beginning of what we saw and unfortunately still see as Islamophobia. And I have always said to kids, um, we can never, ever, ever blame a group of people for the actions of a few people who have done some really horrible things and claim that that was their motivation. And so, no, there has never been an instant in which I, um, kids have used the word mistrustful or angry, and there's never been a time that I, I have felt that way. Quite the opposite. I was uh, fortunate enough to, to have a, you know, a teacher and a family who said, you know, that's not how, that's not how we think about people. Um, and kids, were very curious. They, they don't know, you know, they see the footage and they didn't know. They were like, what did you think when you stepped outside the school building? What happened to the classmates who didn't get home? What were the next days like? Um, and, you know, I, I tell them exactly, you know, what I told you in a little bit more detail because, you know, um, I, I'm trying to keep it concise for today's purposes. But, you know, a lot of kids are struggling to understand it and they want to know if I struggle to understand it and how I put the past behind me. And I say, you know, um, I think there are going to be things that we just won't understand. And I think that um, the most important thing you can do as a young person is is put good into your world and the world around you, because that is what you can control. And unfortunately, we do face down things around us that are bad that we that we can't control. And so part of you know, reconciling with the past is really learning to take what can help you from that and cope with, with the horrible parts and, and take it forward so that you can live a life where you feel safe and happy and calm. And, and it's very important if you have been through something difficult to know that asking for help is something that is brave in that case and not weak. The book is called After 9-11, One Girl's Journey Through Darkness to a New Beginning. You can get it at Amazon or through Chapters. And we thank you for your time and and for sharing your story with us. Helena Hovitz-Regal. The News on CJOB with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham.